0: Our gospel lesson today is taken from the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 27, beginning at the 11th verse. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, He did not respond, Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how many charges they are bringing against you? But he did not answer even one accusation so that the governor was quite amazed. During the feast, the governor was accustomed to release one prisoner to the crowd, whomever they wanted. At that time, they had in custody a notorious prisoner named Jesus Barabbas. So after they had assembled, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. As he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a message to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man. I have suffered greatly as a result of a dream about him today. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas! And Pilate said to them, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said, crucify him. He asked, why? What wrong has he done? But they shouted more insistently, crucify him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. What's the most famous trial in the last 100 years? Was it the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee, after which our nation allowed evolution to be taught in public schools? Or was it the Nuremberg Trials, when leaders of Hitler's Nazi Germany confessed their World War II atrocities? Maybe you're thinking of the O.J. Simpson trial with the famous Black Glove. Or maybe the Timothy McVeigh trial. McVeigh, you probably remember, was tried for killing 168 people in the Oklahoma City bombing on April 19th, 1995. Maybe you're thinking about the Unabomber trial or the Saddam Hussein trial, or maybe you're even thinking of the Martha Stewart trial. What are the most important words in any trial? Innocent, guilty, and free. Every trial hinges on these three words, innocent, guilty, and free. Let's use these words to understand the most famous trial ever, a trial for the ages. The trial takes place in Pilate's judgment hall. The person accused is Jesus. The accusers are the Jewish leaders. And the judge is Pontius Pilate. Innocent, guilty, and free as we look at this Passion Place, Pilate's Judgment Hall. Well, innocent, that's Jesus. For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the Sanhedrin had delivered Jesus up, so Matthew says. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, she said, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream today. Six times in his passion narrative, Matthew calls Pontius Pilate the governor. As Judea's governor, Pilate sat on the judgment seat. That's because Pilate has the power of the Imperium of Rome. That's the Latin word for the person who decides formal death penalty cases. In Judea, Pilate alone has the power of the imperium. You live or you die, according to Pilate. Jesus is innocent. Pilate doesn't completely understand it, but Pilate's wife does understand it. Pilate's wife knows that Jesus is innocent. The rest of the New Testament takes this further, a whole lot further. The New Testament says that Jesus is absolutely and perfectly innocent. For example, in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, we read, Jesus was without sin. Jesus could have broken bread with the devil in the wilderness or broken ranks with the Father in Gethsemane, but he didn't. Jesus was perfect. And not merely just perfect in Kicking boxes of saying that he did not go against anything, but perfect in that he was whole. He lacked absolutely nothing and perfect unity and faith with the Father. He was always honest in the midst of lies. Relentlessly kind in a world full of hatred and self-centeredness. Heavenly focused in spite of countless distractions. And when it came to sin, Jesus never did it who's innocent? That's Jesus. Guilty? That's Barabbas. Matthew 27 says, and then they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas was a sort of a Jewish Robin Hood. Barabbas took money from the rich Romans and gave it to poor Jews. That made Barabbas a Jewish superstar. Barabbas was famous as an insurrectionists. Insurrectionists, as we know, were anti-Roman fighters who belonged to a political group called zealots. Zealots had one agenda, and that was to get Rome out of Judea, period. Zealots were ready to do anything to make that happen, even slit throats. Barabbas was not a petty thief. He was not a second-hand scoundrel. Rome wouldn't condemn a small-time crook to crucifixion. Rome would, however, execute a notorious insurrectionist, a first-class killer. That was Barabbas. He was heartless. He was a brutal criminal. Barabbas had anger in his heart and blood on his hands. Barabbas would be crucified by noon and dead by sundown. His only future was a hammer, Three nails and a God-awful death by hanging on a cross. Innocent, that's Jesus. Guilty, that's Barabbas. Guilty, that's us, for sure. Paul writes in a number of different places in Ephesians 2, we're all born dead in transgressions and sins. Luke writes in chapter 19 that we are lost, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Paul writes to the Corinthians, we are blinded by the God of this age, and he writes to the Ephesians that we are hopeless. Our finest deeds, he writes to the Philippians, are dung or rubbish and manure. In Isaiah, the prophet says that we are like unclean rags. Might as well just call us Barabbas. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 7, what a wretched man I am. He doesn't say not a wretched man I was, I was a wretch. He says I am a wretch. Paul uses a present tense now verb. Right now, today, as a believer in Christ, truth be told, I'm still a wretch. The Bible calls it sin. Sin isn't a regrettable lapse. It's not an occasional stumble. Sin stages a coup or an insurrection against God's rule. Sin storms the castle. Sin lays claim to God's sovereign throne. Sin defiles God's universal authority. Sin says, Get out, God. Get lost, God. I'm in charge here, God. Does this all sound familiar? We're very familiar with what insurrection is, but that's us. It's easy in church to want to live in peace with all people. It's harder, however. To act on that when you didn't get the promotion at work perhaps you deserve, you didn't get attended to with a quality doctor like you wanted, maybe it's because you didn't have the right connections, there was injustice involved. It's easy in church to want to help the poor also, but it's hard to do that when you see a new flat screen TV, besides you worked so hard for it, you have the money for it, you don't want to give that up. It's easy in church to say one thing and then go out into the world and do the exact opposite. It's easy to want justice, but not work with others towards that, especially when it means that that justice might be against you. The prophet says in Isaiah chapter 53 We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each one of us has turned. To his own way. You have your own way. I have my way. Your way may be the accumulation of goods. Someone else's way might be intoxication. Someone else's way might be flirtation. Someone else's way might be constant lying. The fact is, all we like sheep, all of us have our own individual ways of insurrection. We're insurrectionists. In God's world that belongs to him, we want to supplant him and do what we wanna do. We wanna deserve what we are here for. You know, I don't like to confess it. In fact, I'd just as soon avoid it, but I'm Barabbas. I'm a prisoner to my past, my low road choices, my high-minded pride, God has declared me guilty, guilty like Barabbas. What's his sentence? In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I am a wretch, not was a wretch. The wages of my sin is death, not was death. Innocent, that's Jesus. Guilty, that's Barabbas. Guilty, that's us. But free, that's Barabbas. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. That's what Matthew says. The governor again said to them, which of these two men do you want me to release for you? They said, Barabbas. The word persuaded rendered here in the past tense, is better translated as had persuaded. They'd already done it before. They had planned it. They didn't persuade him in that moment. They set it all up. The Sanhedrin had their ducks in a row long before this early morning trial. They'd been working behind the scenes. Because the crowd that showed up on Palm Sunday was a totally different crowd than this crowd. The Palm Sunday crowd consisted of Galileans. The crowd on Good Friday consisted of Judeans. Up at 6 a.m. to get Barabbas off the hook so he could continue his insurrection to their delight. The Galileans are camped outside of Jerusalem. They're still sleeping. Listen you hear closely, there's a Roman guard with keys, and he unlocks the prison door, and it swings open and shouts, Barabbas, you're free. They chose you to go free. Barabbas stumbles into the light of day, shackles gone, crimes pardoned, free. That's Barabbas. But free, that's us. That's us for sure. Christ endured not just the Roman nails and the mockery and the spear, but also the gears of God's grinding justice. The gears of God's grinding justice. Yes, God doesn't overlook sin. God doesn't say, hey, no big deal, whatever. That's not how it works. God is holy and righteous and perfect and just. God can't overlook sin. He can't turn a blind eye. God must punish sin. That's why God placed all of our sins on Jesus. It's accurate, therefore, to say that Christ substituted himself for the world. It's life changing, however, to say Christ substituted himself for me, for my insurrection, for my sins, and they are many. God's mercy, it's more, so much more than my sins of insurrection. Although they let Barabbas free in a crowd, Jesus frees us in the world. Psalm 146 says, the Lord sets prisoners free. And Paul writes in Romans 8, the law of the spirit of life has set you free. And he writes to the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And in Revelations, John writes, Revelation chapter 1, Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood. There are a million ways to become a prisoner, but there's only one way to be free, and his name is Jesus. Just think, the outcome of history's most famous trial means that the Savior's liberating power sets us free from the condemnation of our sin. Free from the pain of our past. Free from the worry about our future. No one can take this freedom from us. No law can stop it. No power on earth or hell can destroy it. Innocent, guilty, and free. These are the most important words in any trial. What would you say is the most life-changing of the three? Innocent, guilty, free? That's easy. Free. John chapter 8, verse 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's us. Like Barabbas. By faith, forevermore, free. And you know, when we begin every Sunday, we say, welcome to grace. And that's what we do. We not only welcome people to grace church, we welcome people to hear the grace of God. Grace and forgiveness in God's judgment hall. Sure, we pride ourselves as a family in Christ of having received that grace and a loving congregation, but the love that we have is the love that comes from being free and in Christ. Grace and forgiveness in God's judgment hall. Amen.